Get more of the backstory on our Patreon page with exclusive interviews, outtakes, and the Lost Controversial Backstory Podcast you can only get here. Support on the Backstory Bonus Level. Welcome to the Backstory Podcast. And this episode is about some hip-hop pioneers. You see, the current model for up-and-coming groups that do not have mainstream appeal initially, they have to grind out their lane by constantly touring and building fan bases through social media and their online platform. But this really isn't a new phenomenon. The Roots were one of the first groups, if not the actual first true hip-hop groups, to use this model and build a successful, long-lasting brand. My name is Black Thought, lead speaker, lead vocalist, rapper from the group The Roots. And this is Brother Question, uh, the drummer, the music maker of the Roots. I had an up-close and personal view of the Roots as I was building my career in Philadelphia at the same time they were. Watching their rise from street corner jam sessions with a variety of band members for Loose Change, to doing club dates, to worldwide tours, from their independent status to major label status, then expanding their horizons to become the house band for The Tonight Show. The Roots will always be a unique group, and unlike today's artists, they built their empire with no internet, no social media, just hard work and Philly grit. I'll explain that Philly grit a little bit later. They had their doubters, and a lot of doors were slammed in their faces. But they never relented and succeeded despite forces that didn't understand them, led by one of the most underrated MCs in hip-hop history, Black Thought, who still today will outshine most MCs with a special level of lyricism reserved for a gifted few, and one of the greatest hip-hop savants and music influencer the world has ever seen, Questlove. In this podcast, you will hear their story through early interviews I did with them, including an epic freestyle on the eve of the release of their first major album. The house plus the dice ball, reality every day, always live. Check the way that I embrace the flame. Black door put in craft, MCs in the grave, six below the ground. You know the sound knocking down like a door when it's kicked in. MCs get ripped in the battle. And yo, I slither on the ground like a rattlesnake. Plus, you'll hear the story about how a major mogul. Google embraced them and used his resources to help give the band more mainstream exposure. This is the Backstory Podcast, hip-hop's first band, The Roots. To get an understanding of The Roots, I have to take you on a ride to South Philadelphia and the school where it all started. Classmates Tariq Trotter, a.k.a. Black Thought, and Amir Thompson, a.k.a. Quest Love, attended the prestigious Philadelphia High School for the Creative and Performing Arts. Notable alumni of this school include Boys to Men, which there is a major connection to The Roots that I'll get to later, singer Amel LaRue, Hamilton star Leslie Odom Jr., singer Jasmine Sullivan, Scrubs writer Angela Nissel, and so many more additional creatives. So let's go inside the group. Amir Questlove Thompson grew up in a musical family. When Amir's mother, Jacqueline, and father got together, they formed a group called Congress Alley, and they toured all over the country, and they took Quest along for the ride, touring with his parents. And he was involved in the performances at an early age. He started playing the drums at the age of seven. Amir had an eclectic taste in music. Quest also read the Rolling Stones magazine, not Ebony Jet or Right On. Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, Led Zeppelin, and Miles Davis were his playlists of that era. However, just like most of us during that time, he was inspired by Michael Jackson and Prince. As a creative, you couldn't help but be inspired. I mean, Michael Jackson was building his iconic status at that time. In Quest's Mo Better book, he talks about his musical upbringing and that his family became more religious and they did not like him listening to the likes of MJ saying Thriller was satanic or Prince was too risque. Quest talks about having to buy the legendary 1999 album, which was released in 1982, up to five times because every time his parents would find a copy, they would take it away. Meanwhile, on the other side of town, Tariq Black Thought Trotter was born to Thomas and Cassandra Trotter, whom were both members of the Nation of Islam. In the turbulent early 70s, his father was murdered when he was one and his mother was murdered during his high school years. He grew up in the Mount Airy section of Philadelphia, which during this time was a middle class area for black families. And in later years, Tariq would migrate to the South Philadelphia area. 
One of his passions at an early age was one of the pillars of hip-hop culture, graffiti. And it would be happenstance that graffiti would lead him to music. Tariq would tag Double T all over the city and was arrested at 12 for tagging up a basketball court in South Philadelphia. He was sentenced to volunteer with the Philadelphia Anti-Graffiti Network. I remember this organization as a kid growing up in Philly. Graffiti was out of control, and the city's first black mayor, Wilson Good, created the program to help stem the tide of this blight and really push the creative energy from graffiti artists into something else. One of the programs that came out of the Anti-Graffiti Network was the Mural Arts Program. If you ever come to Philadelphia, there are beautiful murals all over the city. Empty lots will be brightened by life-size murals of local and national heroes. You'd see Martin Luther King, you'd see Dr. J, Patti LaBelle, or local community leaders would adorn the walls throughout the city. Tariq, would soon end up at the same high school with Questlove. So how did they meet? As Quest tells it, and this is a really funny story, I still find it funny every time I read it. So growing up in Philly, there was this TV show that every kid watched called Dancing on Air. The show at one point was hosted by TV personality today, Kelly Ripper, who grew up in the South Jersey area, which is right on the outskirts of Philadelphia. This show featured the local beautiful teens, like the cool kids, and it was live television every day. So they would dance to all the hottest songs, and an artist, when they would come to town, they'd be on the show. Um, and the kids that were on Dancing on Air would become stars locally. When I got to college, I ended up being friends with someone who was once on that show, and she would tell me like a million Dancing on Air stories. So anyway, Quest and his friend Mark had crushes on two of the girls on the show. He even wrote his crush, and she wrote him back. But his friend's crush name was Melissa, and she did not write his friend back. So they found out that she attended Kappa, which, by the way, is the nickname for Creative and Performing Arts High School. And it motivated Quest to want to attend the school. I'm really not making this up. He writes about it in his book. So anyway, he gets to Kappa on a mission to find Melissa and finds out that she is the person who hands out the school tokens. So he goes to find her. And while he's waiting for her to give out tokens and make his connection, an NTA, which is a non-teaching assistant, is dragging this kid into the same office. Quest labeled this kid a roughneck. <laughs> you can laugh about it now. The NTA sits the kid down next to Quest, and this kid blurts out, this NTA jealous because he can't get no pee. Now, supposedly, and I've never talked to uh Black thought about this, and I only learned of this story from reading Quest's book. But supposedly he was busted by this NTA in the bathroom with a girl he was trying to hook up with, if you know what I mean. That roughneck was Tariq Trotter, and that was their first meeting. So anyway, this rumor gets around, and by week's end, Tariq was a school celeb. They, meaning Quest and Tariq, were complete opposites. Quest was more conservative, coming from a Christian school to Kappa, and Tariq was a kid from South Philly who was rough around the edges, and clearly from his background had to deal with a lot of pain and anguish growing up. Quest dressed sort of like that De La Soul, Daisy Age vibe, while Tariq was a true hip-hop kid decked out in Run DMC-like gear. Quest was at the school for music. Tariq was an artist. Remember I mentioned his graffiti roots. He starts off with those intentions, but ends up becoming one of the greatest lyricists. How's that for creative energy? Quest says that the famous Stevie Wonder episode of The Cosby Show in the early 80s, which at that time everybody watched the show, was a milestone moment for hip-hop. That jamming on the one scene where Stevie sampled everyone's voice into music led to the sample generation. According to Quest, so many producers got their hands on a sampler, and this changed the direction of hip-hop. Quest was able to get his hands on one, and Tariq was impressed. He wasn't really rapping, but he was quick-witted and sarcastic, which eventually led him to rapping with that same attitude. Quest was mastering the sampling machine and creating beats and samples based on current hip-hop songs that Tariq would request. So this basically was their relationship. So one day, Quest crossed paths with the talented Emil LaRue, who attended Kappa before her breakout hit single in the 90s, Tell Me with Groove Theory. And upon a conversation they were having about Prince, Quest blurted out that he and Tariq had a group together, and she suggested that they should do the talent show. Quest quickly put a bunch of classmates together to back them up at the talent show. After graduation from high school, Quest was trying to find his lane doing session work, thanks to his dad's music connections and working odd jobs. Meanwhile, Tariq, who was still at Kappa but walking the wrong path, was suddenly sent to live in Detroit with a relative to, quote-unquote, stay out of trouble. Now, this wasn't communicated to Quest. Again, Quest was older. He was already out of school. Tariq was still in school. So Quest is trying to build this group, and 
there's no communication between him and Tariq, and he finds out that Tariq has been sent to Detroit. So the beginnings of the roots were delayed a little bit over a year while Tariq spent time away from Philly. At that time, Quest did odd jobs in studio work. One of his odd jobs was actually selling insurance. I couldn't believe it, but then one day I was interviewing Quest, and a woman called in who used to sell insurance with him. Check this out. Hi, Quest. How are you? Um, we used to work together a long time ago, Uh-oh. like in the early 90s. At RMH? Yeah. <laughs> my past. Um, every time I come over here, my past come to get me. Yeah, it's Philly, baby. We remember everything. Yes, I used to sell insurance, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Someone had to pay for that demo, man. Come on. Boy, who's this? Who's this on the phone? This is Shannon from Ardmore. Okay. And I just wanted to congratulate you because even back then, y'all were still doing your thing underground. Thank you. And just to look at you now, I'm like, wow, I'm really proud of you and the roots. I just wanted to call and tell you that. As you can see, Philly is a big city, but like a small town. So you're always going to get people that are going to connect with you on the radio. And I thought that was a really funny moment that I wanted to share. So anyway, Quest and Tariq weren't the best communicators to each other either, so the early days were difficult but Quest saw something special in Tariq and Tariq had a creative connection with Quest and sometimes life just gets in the way so wherever Tariq was staying at outside of Detroit, some sort of altercation happened with another person in that neighborhood and Tariq ends up back in Philadelphia but at a different high school it was at that point that both of them were in the same city and they started working on their group. So one day in 1982 during the Greek picnic weekend which in Philadelphia is when uh, black sororities and fraternities from all over the country would ascend to Philadelphia Quest and Tariq posted up on South Street which is a popular city strip to hang out. They had a bucket for drums and Tariq had a mic. The key to drawing attention to themselves was Quest recreating popular hip hop beats. It is said that imitation is the best form of flattery. This would be a Roots trademark on all shows. It's actually how I started to like the Roots because I was a straight up hip hop kid used to turntables and a mic. I wasn't used to a live band, but it really engaged me to see Quest and Tariq like reenact popular beats in that moment. This would eventually be copied by the Fugees whom the Roots would open up for when the Fugees started to ascend in like 95, 96. In this interview in 1996, I bought this up to Tariq. Now, I was at the Gavin seminar last year and I saw the Fugees do their thing right before their album dropped. And when they started their show off, it seemed as though it was uh, the way they started their show and some of the things that they were doing was something that you guys have been doing for years, like playing live hip hop tracks. Yeah. And then and and you know mixing them in or whatever. So what's up with that? Is it is it beef there or is it is it y'all pieced up with them or, or you got a problem with them? What's up? I mean I ain't trying to cause no yeah, controversy, you know but I mean I just want to know what's up. I mean I wouldn't say it's no beef. You know what I mean? Because y'all um, toured together, right? When yeah, they, when they first, yeah. They tour. You know what I'm saying? And and they, I mean, we appreciate them for letting us come out with them. I mean, they selected us and Goody Mar to come out and support. But I mean, you know. I don't know. We just know and understand that we're the original, you know what I'm saying, here from Philly. And um, it's just some crazy similarities yeah, in the nah, performance. I, that's but that's at the same time, The Roots, we're a we live band. And the lyricists are impressionists, you know what I'm saying? We do the actual record live from all raw elements. And the Fuji's actually on stage, I think, with the record and, and the dat and... This and that. And they add other stuff in. And they add a little salt and pepper, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. It's a, different, if it, it's a different show. Coming up, you'll hear more early moments from The Roots, plus a freestyle for the ages. You know, I'll be representing. It's the fat boy who be squinting from Frank for high. Always dipped in the H-I-L-F-I-G-E-R. He'll figure my nigga didn't mean to curse. Sorry, Kobe. So the guys are playing on South Street, some nights making upwards of $80, which is a lot of money back then. They had a lot of roadblocks with cops, but were able to create this lane for themselves, soon adding other musicians. It was during these street jam sessions that they would collect contacts for other gigs. They would eventually connect with a local radio talent by the name of AJ Shine. His name was Joe Simmons, and he had a popular hip-hop show on Drexel University's radio station. AJ and the late Richard Nichols saw something in the guys who started out calling themselves Radioactivity, then Black to the Future, eventually becoming Square Roots. Now, due to a folk group having the same name, Square Roots, eventually they just became the Roots, but their first independent project was Square Roots. They would start recording their first album. I loved their song that they had called Pass the Popcorn and would play it on my show. 
It was the first time I really paid attention to the group and what they were doing. They soon released their first album, Organics, independently. The Philly music scene has always been amazing. A lot of great artists and behind-the-scenes individuals in the music business come from Philadelphia. Growing up as a kid, I had a connection in my family. My uncle is the world-renowned pianist McCoy Tyner, a Philly jazz legend who played with the likes of Benny Golson and the great John Coltrane. In Philly in the 70s, we had our own Motown. Gamble and Huff were a creative force. If Barry Gordy's Motown dominated the 60s, then Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff dominated the 70s. I have a forthcoming Backstory podcast with the great Kenny Gamble in a few months. Philly was also the second home to hip-hop, which started in the Bronx, and spread to all five boroughs, but then started to branch out to Jersey, to uh, Connecticut, and of course, Philadelphia. In previous podcasts, I talked about the early days and how Philly was the next major city to embrace hip-hop. Philly has always had its own vibe and artists, but Philly also had a little issue with hip-hop just being labeled only from New York City and not getting the credit considering our place in history. Philly was known worldwide to have the best DJs. Philly created the first gangster rapper in Schoolie D. If you're not up on PSK and Gucci time, that was the beginnings of gangster hip-hop music before the West Coast ran with it. One of the first early producers in hip-hop, Molly Maul, came to Philadelphia to release Queens-based artists Roxanne Shante and MC Shan on the Goodman Brother imprint, Pop Art Records. Lawrence and Dana Goodman were building an arsenal of artists who would get major label deals out of Philadelphia, like Steady B on Jive and Cool C on Atlantic. Three Times Dope on Arista all had success outside of the 215. But Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince were our first true superstar group. Their first album went platinum. Their second album, He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper, was hip-hop's first double album, and it went triple platinum and was a worldwide success. And as the 90s dawned, a new superstar R&B group was born, and they would have a staggering successful first two albums, plus a connection to the roots. Boys to Men were classmates to Amir and Tariq. And I have a connection to them because their story existed because of where I worked at. So they famously snuck backstage at a big concert at the station that I was working at at that time. New Edition was on the show. Boys to men meticulously with one backstage pass. I still don't know how they got it. Kept sneaking each member backstage. They tracked down Michael Bivens behind the stage and performed Can You Stand the Rain on the spot. He signed them right after that moment. A side note, though, about New Edition that I wanted to share. That was a transitional moment for the guys in the group. Everyone expected huge solo success from Johnny Gill and Ralph Tresvant, especially following the monstrous success of Bobby Brown, who had left the group first. Many discounted the remaining members, Bell, Biv, and DeVoe. But a happenstance conversation with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis led to the creation of their own subgroup, BBD, which would go on and have the best success out of all a new edition. That Poison project was a ridiculously successful moment for R&B, but also because they were on the cutting edge of music in that moment by infusing hip-hop into R&B as we were witnessing the rise of the New Jack Swing movement. Boys to Men signing with Michael Bivens was, as they say, perfect timing because BBD was beyond huge at that time, and Michael Bivens was a mogul, already securing a major distribution deal for his Biv 10 imprint. There was such a buzz for them because of their signing to Michael Bivens. So early that spring, Biv releases a child group, Another Bad Creation, and their nickname was ABC. They were like a new age Jackson 5, a bunch of preteens from Atlanta with endless energy. And they drop a song called Aisha on the strength of their BBD connection. The song blows up. Later that spring in 1991, Biv releases Motown Philly. It was the coming out party for the group, but totally a Philadelphia story. Coming from nothing, having big dreams and achieving stardom. Wanye on the hook. Back in school, we used to dream about this every day. Me and my co-worker Stanley T were the first to play that song on the radio. We had a great relationship with Michael Bivens and the guys in Boys to Men, and we championed them from the door. They took off just like ABC did a few months earlier, but they were even bigger. Motown Philly was an instant hit, and Michael Bivens came to town to film the Motown Philly video. They shot the video all over the city. I was lucky enough to be in the video. I'll never forget filming a scene outside the high school for performing arts in South Philly that day. School was actually in session. It was in session, but it really wasn't in session. The camera pans a young Wanye outside of the school doing that part about back in Philly. We used to dream about this every day. And they showed a Kappa sign in the background, and that's the old um, location of Kappa, which is no longer there anymore. Meanwhile, you don't see this, but behind the scenes, it's like the entire school is outside, the entire South Philly is outside. And so at the end of the song, they go, 
um, boys to men, ABC, BBD, and posing outside the school is the biggest R&B group in the world, BBD, the up-and-coming group, ABC, and boys to men. And it was just a moment. You just would never have a moment like that um, outside of a school. You can imagine everybody was pretty excited. Another scene in the video, which happened to be at the Italian market in South Philly, which was made famous by Rocky during the jogging sequences in the first Rocky movie before he ran up the art museum steps. I was perched on a corner sitting next to Boys to Men while a very young Quest Love was playing the drums in front of us on a bucket. Actually, Quest Love had numerous cameos in the Motown Philly video, so you gotta search it so you can see it, playing all kinds of different drums throughout the video. It was a great look for him as the video played nonstop on MTV and BET, and it helped define his ultimate brand. He didn't have an afro yet, he had braids. Google the video, and you'll see Mr. Quest Love firing away. So... Boys to Men's debut album, Cooley High Harmony, is released. It sells a staggering 10 million plus albums. Their follow up to sold 14 million albums. Not bad for a bunch of hungry brothers from Kappa. They were a huge deal coming from Philly, but to all the kids that attended the School for the Arts, they were an inspiration. And for The Roots, they saw a path to success for themselves. The Roots added members Malik B., Scott Storch, and Lennon Hubbard. Coming up, you'll hear more from The Roots, including Quest Love on their groundbreaking deal with Def Jam. Left of center hip-hop meaning the kind of hip-hop that, you know, you don't have to do... 400,000 your first week. Basically, the, the Qualies, the Moses, the Commons, the, mm-hmm. the the little brothers of the world. So I first met Amir as a caller to my uh, show on the radio. He was an avid hip-hop fan, very knowledgeable. Whatever was going on, he was on it. I didn't really make the connection to the roots and him being an artist until I interviewed Lord I Kill, which you heard a little earlier in the podcast. They released their first album, Organics, independently, which brought a lot of attention their way from the majors. They eventually signed with Geffen Records and started working on their first major label album, Do You Want More? It was a few months before the album's release, and I had my first official Roots interview. They talk about the early days of the group, playing on the streets, all the stuff that I was just telling you about. Getting their major record deal with Geffen, traveling the world, and recording their second album, which is really their first major label release album. This was September 10th, 1994, four months before the release of Do You Want More? But in the studio, I got the roots. Welcome back, fellas. Introduce yourselves. That's brother question. I'm the Black Thought. Okay. First of all, congratulations, fellas, on your deal with Geffen Records. It was a long time coming. People, a lot of people don't know that you fellas have been around. Y'all been doing, I mean, I can remember maybe like four years ago, I think it's about four years ago, you guys started out and you guys have worked really hard to get a deal. Tell the people some of the things that you went through getting to get your deal. Well, I mean... We like back in '92, we used to play like live on South Street, you know, right. just uh, you know, play for loose change or whatever. And then from there, it just sort of evolved, and we started doing like a lot of shows, and, and we did some New York stuff, and then we went overseas. And next thing you know, like when we came back from Germany uh, last year, we got a record deal with uh, Geffen Records. Mm-hmm. We signed in December, and we completed the album. Earlier this year, you know, it'll be um, October 25th. It's entitled Do You Want More? Okay. 18 right. songs. Right, and the title track is actually a shout out to everybody around the world, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, Philly first. Philly Starting first. Of course, with, you know, Philly. And then you, every, go, every part of Philly then you go everywhere else after that. Now, you got this first single that came out. It's called Distortion is Static. And what's that all about? Because a lot of people don't understand it. Uh-huh. And if you look at the video, you get the concept of what you're trying to say. But explain to people what that means. Well, like the, the concept of that song, Distortion to Static, is just you know, like basically like describing what the music sounds like. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just like all this different stuff going on. And, and Static is like the backdrop. Right. You know, so like the, the music serves as the distortion. Mm-hmm. And with the laughter and the chorus is just like you know what i mean like an evaluation of the, of the industry's lyricists you know what i'm right, saying right and right it's just like 
it's a lot of kids out there that's pitiful. It's a lot of kids out there that's getting deals. Right, right. Very, very large, larger than life. Right. You know what I mean? But, I mean, they just can't represent Lyric. Right, and the real true MCs don't get deals. Right, but the real true MCs know it. You know what I mean? That's why we laugh and stuff. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Tell people what they can look forward to on it. You can look forward to... You know what I'm saying? Just like uh, an album of completely live music, for one. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no samples on this album. Right, right. Live instrumentation. Utility. And then, uh, like, just a a bunch of different lyrical styles, you know what I'm saying? From Mm -hmm. tune to tune, our our whole rap format varies and switches, you know? Different moods. And um, there's a lot of guest appearances by other musicians and other vocalists. We got my man Dice Raw in the house mm-hmm. representing Logan Valley of Death. Okay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Young boy, he coming out from the, from the sinking lands. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know what I'm saying? He's representing on an album on this tune called The Lesson as well as on the remix for Distortion to Static which right. will be out pretty soon. Right. And, um, we, we got my man Rozell on the album doing human beatbox on a couple cuts. Mm-hmm. It's just like a bunch of different flavors, you know what I'm saying? It's something on it's something on Do You Want More for everybody. Right, right, you know? right. And you fellas definitely got a little, oh yeah, that little old school flavor, a little new school yeah. flavor. It's all represented mm-hmm. in the in the records and it's, and it's, you know, it's fat. I mean, you know, what can I say? I mean, I, I tell everybody, yo, the, the roots. Because I can remember, I mean, I remember AJ always saying, yo, I got this group, The Roots, and I would hear so many stories about you, and you would do so many shows here. You did, like, a million shows in Philly all over the place, and, you know, you definitely paid your due, so much props to you guys, and hopefully y'all make a lot of money and and live large and be be able to make music and live in this industry, because it's really hard. One theme that you get from The Roots, which I've always appreciated, is their love and passion for good quality hip-hop music. I keep mentioning that passion of Quest Love as a music head, but Tariq was a first-generation hip-hop head who respected the lyrics and the importance of being lyrical and saying something with his rhymes. The Roots didn't take too kindly to the state of hip-hop, which, during this renaissance period of explosive growth in the 90s, how so many half-ass MCs were reaping the benefits of success in the music business and wealth. That's just America, though. The masses aren't usually as hip to what is quality. So you could give them fresh squeezed orange juice with pulp and they would think that that was nasty, but you give them concentrated orange juice or sunny delight and they'll think that was amazing. The same edict applies to music. And with hip hop, you had true heads, then you had everyone else, which to them, the music will be novelty, the simplistic, the hook that they crave. It is also the general market audience that waters down art. This is still happening today. So many fast food rappers and not enough true lyricists. Recently, Black Thought did an epic freestyle with Funkmaster Flex. He's still dropping those gems today on the state of hip-hop as the genre has expanded to now being the most listened-to form of music in America. The Roots were special. There wasn't much samples in their music. It was all original. In all the interviews that I'm sharing, you'll hear this from them. Now, I can admit I was probably part of the problem in their eyes early on because I would be playing a lot of this music from artists that couldn't cut it in their eyes. It was a tough spot for me to be in, but I always respected and appreciated them for being true artists. On the dawn of 1995, they would release their debut major label album, Do You Want More? They also added a few more members, and you'll notice along the way, they're never the same. They're always picking up new guys. They bought on Scratch and Rozelle for live beatboxing and added a kid who could just rhyme with the best of them, who at the time was a junior in high school. His name was Dice Raw. His name said it all. We had an old club in Philly in the late 80s and early 90s called the Cat Club. It was in the basement under several stores on Chestnut Street in downtown Philly. They got a new owner. His name was Dominique, and he renamed the club Club Fever, just like the classic New York City hip-hop club in the Bronx. And I cut a deal with him to do hip-hop events on Saturday nights. This club was as grimy as they come, like a total street spot. I would bring a who's who of artists every Saturday night. It was a majority black club, but the coke girl was a cool teenage white girl named Alicia who didn't take no shit. This cool coat girl would end up becoming the pop superstar, Pink. In this club, I had Biggie in 95. I remember folks paying $100 a pop to see him. It was Junior Mafia's first performance outside of New York. And I famously remember Little Kim, who had red lipstick on, passing the mic back to me after performing Player's Anthem. And it was red lipstick all over the mic. I had Mob Deep perform during the Shook One's time. And man, were they amped up. 
because this club was downtown, kids were coming from all over the city, so it was common for massive fights to break out. I mean, these would be just epic fights. And I remember Mob Deep sitting in the VIP watching these fights, and they got so amped up that they started fighting each other because they wanted to get in on it. And that night, they totally trashed the hotel rooms that we got for them. It was pretty interesting. I remember um, Steve Rifkin, who ran Loud Records, his little brother Jonathan was responsible for them, and he was totally overwhelmed. That was the fever, though. So, like, I had ODB. I had PMD from EPMD when he went solo. I had Common. So many artists would do that club on my night. I also had the Fugees perform there as well in 1995. I remember being worried because they had live instruments, and these kids weren't used to any kind of instruments except a turntable and a microphone. But to Wyclef's credit, he knew how to woo the audience, and they used that Roots trick of doing live hip-hop beats with instrumentals. And this was the calmest night in the history of Fever. I thought I was at the wrong club. So when the Roots were coming out with their album, I had to invite them. So this was 10 days before the release of Do You Want More in this interview that I'm about to play. They talk about touring the world, the anticipation of this album. Then you'll hear like an epic freestyle with a special guest, Bahamadia, who was a local Philly performer who got a major label deal as well. This was January 6, 1995. What's up? What's going on? Yeah. What's happening? Welcome home. I know y'all was in Europe for like... Yeah, yeah. How long was y'all over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell everybody what's About that... two months. Tell man. everybody what, what it's like to go from the streets of Philadelphia over to Europe and, and represent... East Vilnius. Yeah, yeah. Van Hitton. I mean, it's, it's all... I mean, hip-hop is, is respected everywhere, right. you know? So they they respect it just like like it is over here. So I mean it's all the same. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Okay. Well, first of all, everybody introduce themselves and right. get a part of town. You know what I mean? But yo yo, this the Black Thought. You know what I'm saying? Where you from? <laughs> Where you from? Southern Snyder Ave. Southern, Southern. You know what I'm saying? The Southern. What? South Philly. Where this brother question representing 52nd Street, West Philly. Peace, this Kamal representing Mount Airy, Stanton Ave, Nick. <laughs> yeah, yo, this is Malik B. Hey, yo, Malik B. <laughs> Malik B, yo, you know what I'm saying? Representing South Philly. Yo, this is Rosella Godfather representing the Boogie Down, New York, in the back. You know what I'm saying? Right. even try to play the borough because it's thorough. <laughs> so why don't you explain the new member of the Roots? Wow. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Um, Tell everybody what's up. Word, yo, we got a new, we, we got two new members in the Roots, you know what I'm saying, right through here. We got my man Kamal, who, who, who recently joined the group, he's, he's on the keys, you know what I'm saying, my man right over here to my right. And uh, also further to my right, we got Rozelle the Godfather Noise, you know what I mean, new vocal percussionist slash DJ slash beatbox, you know what I'm saying. Now, how'd, you come rich, up, you know how'd you come across these new members? Um, well... I, I I met Rozell in '93. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I met Rozell in '93 up in New York at a a, a, a poetry and cool. Yeah, you know what I'm saying at the spot called the Cooler, where it was like this poetry and music slam. Right. You know what I mean? He was doing all, all of the music for everyone, though. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, I, like, I met him there. I saw him perform a few times with Supernatural mm-hmm. and all, and we got to know him, and we booked Razelle and the, the girl, Shakita, he performs with to play right. at our signing party at the right. Troc last year. Okay. You know I remember what I'm that. So, you know what I mean? Our relationship built from then. We hooked up, he worked on an album, mm-hmm. and he did a European tour with us, and he kind of just amalgamated into the group. You know what okay. I'm saying? Okay. All right, now you got this new single out, Proceed. Of course, the first single, Distortion to Static. Word. And finally, I hear the album comes out. Was it next week or the week January after? January 17th. That, two yeah. more weeks. Finally. 17th for this month. 17th. Well, finally. actually, a week from this coming Tuesday. Do you want more? And I've had that album since, like, man, last like last since winter. the beginning right. of time. <laughs> and it's, how's it feel to you finally see. have it come out? And tomorrow you're going to have an album release party here in Philly. It's going to be kind of nice. Ooh. How's it feel? The album's finally coming out. Because you've well, been doing this for so many years to put this right? album out. I mean, it, it, it feels good, Colby. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let's have it. Yeah, 1920. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yo. Done, you know what I mean? It's, it's long overdue, I feel. You know what I'm saying? So we just ready. We ready to get it out on the streets and into people's homes so we can see what type of response. You know what I'm saying? We're okay. going to get. 
Well, you're going to get a lot of response here in your hometown. Very anxious. You know and I know you brothers want to do a little something right about now, right? Oh, yeah, true. Okay, true. All right, I'm, I'm going to bring the music down and, and let's see if we can do a little something. All right. Yo, you can hear me? Yeah? And check out the newest member of the Roots. Yo, Rick. Yeah, you can hear me? Yeah, yeah? I hear you. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, Philly representing. This is how we do it for the 9 5, baby. <laughs> Microphone, microphone, check one, two. Mr. Black thought in the house, one, two. Hey, yo, we got come on in the house, one, two. The brother question in the house, one, two. Russell, the Godfather in the house, one, two. Check it. Bahamadia in the house, check it out. The minds are so click in the house, check it out. Hey, yo, my whole crew is in the house. Got my man E representing in the house, plus the dice ball. Reality every day, always live. Check the way that I embrace the flame. Black Thor putting crap MCs in the grave. Six below the ground. You know the sound knock you down like a door when it's kicked in. MCs get ripped in the battle. Hey, yo, I slither on the ground like a rattlesnake tail. My style's never frail, never fail. Black thought ever or better, I forever sail. On the water just like the ocean when I'm quoting styles. You're provoking the brother to an open eye. Pile it on layer after layer. Hey, yo, you check the way that I display the rap flavor like cake. These are the breaks like Curtis. No black thought. I'm at your service and sees you get nervous and leave from the scene. Yes, it's number one and I shoot stars like a gun and if C's start running, yes, to the head, what? It's the black dread, etc. X said it's about the feds and papers. You catch the vapors and cry. Yes, you can kiss my when the sun don't shine. Stupid mother Randy, you wonder can he? A better sustain, maintain the grooves all about the claim, which I go against. I'm flowing since I represent the southern respect. Got the cash wreck for seven for slight of ass, breaking them C's in half. I put my mic into your backbone, direct your spine, get all up into your mind and mental, trace your body with a stencil outline, and then I climb levels on the ladder, kicking MCs in the bladder, my dialect's getting fatter, black, so shatter your matter, yes, it's like that, cataclysms, nepotism's what I'm practicing, yo, I never lack this in, a battle of better, in fact, black thought from the object stack, my props, it goes on and never stops, calling cops, kid in both seats, I take the lead, and I shall proceed, we got my man, Dice Roy, where you at, my young boy, get over the mic at the count of four. Ill dialect, got to keep it hardcore, kid. One, two, three, four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here comes the kid from 11th and Loudon. MCs want to flex or heading for the clowning. The Glock 19 is combat, ready for combat. MCs want beef, we can have it where it's at. Nice ball, the most corrupt young boy you'll ever see. Or seven saw, the most corrupt. You know my steel and I'm up at the low. Life's clear, where BB, where you at? Come and strap with the 45 gap, crossing straight through your backbone, ripping out your spine, going all out for mine. In the year 95, last year was 94, it was a time to dance for the most corrupt, bashing you in your head. What's up, sucker, duck, crab and seeds, laughing at me. I cause catastrophe to those who pick up the mic and sound so heady. I'm causing tragedy, misconceptions, flexing with injections. It's lethal, and seeds with a pistol. I'm up on the ad with my Puerto Rican squad up in Bristol. You know, I'll be representing. It's the fat boy who be squinting from Frank for high, always dipped in the H-I-L-F-I-G-E-R. He'll figure my nugget, didn't mean to curse, sorry, Kobe. MCs know my style comes Dolby, direct when I catch right, I'm caught back like a sack. Nah, here for you and yours, most corrupt mother fool, I can't say it's wrong. Hey, yeah,
like that, representing with it. Got my man Curl Hot, Curl Hot over MIC. You got to represent for the Mount Airy and Loba Ab on the behalf like this. One to the two to the three, don't miss. Yeah, yeah. Check it, check, 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 check it, check it, check it. Yo, originality plays a key. You don't understand me. My style is kind of hectic. Pick my checks and I come off with a topic. Nicks know the time. Yo, I'm bound to rock any topic. I drop it. Lyrical format. You don't understand me because your style is kind of whack. Intertock, intertack, intertwine. Yo, I got to cool out and chill because I'm on the radio station. Taking duplications, elevation, domination. I be flowing. My Type of lingo, put your chips on the table, time to play bingo one time. Let me in, I begin. Pass the black back thought what you wanna do. Hey yo, bring it in, better yet, bring it on. Word is born, it's time for all the roots to get going. I better get ghosts, y'all know the host of Kobe Cole. But I'm supposed to do the beat for my man Rizel, the godfather, so he can rock well, excel. It goes. Uh, here we go, here we go, here we go. Yeah, people been sleeping on the lyrical style, but we're gonna flip it like this. Check it out, check it out. Who's the man? Rozelle's the man, so you pass the method. 1200 styles, crush your coupe without no effort. Let me flip my vocabulary, vocal acrobatics, microphone dramatics. I can jam like automatics, nine millimeter, 12 rounds, one in the chamber. Russian roulette, and you can bet there is danger. Number five in the billboard with the bullet. 500,000 on the trigger, so let me pull it, cause I'm about to blast you. Off the charts in a minute, I'm dynamic. Heart like ceramic MC Spanish, so let me freak the flow. I like you know your mama know it. Oh, you Superman MCs don't even try to play heroic. Cause your album's so whack, don't even have a rack to sell off. My leaves from a tree in autumn, your crew fell off. So next time you want to rock the mic, so do it well. I'm trying to tell you now, cause my name is Rozelle. The roots in the house, representing for the 9-5. Check it out in 99 when we kick it live. This project was the start of radio airplay for the group. The Do You Want More album had songs on there like Distortion and Static, Proceed, and Silent Treatment, which were big songs for us, not just for the hip-hop show, but we would play them in rotation. They even did a remix of Silent Treatment, which featured a track from the Philly classic song Kick the Ball from the Crown Rulers, who dropped an album back in the day called Paper Chase in 1988. Tariq, the true hip-hop head that he was, does a remix to Silent Treatment with that same track and exposes this to the world. That's one of the reasons why I love hip-hop so much. You can have endless moments like this. So Do You Want More comes out, it does okay. Eventually, 20 years later, it goes gold, but it really put the roots on the map nationally. They started working on their second album, Illadelph Half-Life. Scott Storch had left the group and was replaced by Kamal, who manned the keyboards now. Scott would go on to become one of the great producers of the early 2000s. He would come back to assist the roots on a couple of their tracks. Scott left to go work with Dr. Dre in Los Angeles for a few years, and the first song he produced with Dr. Dre was still D.R.E., Jay-Z actually wrote the lyrics for Dr. Dre on that song. Scott would go on to produce the Roots' first major hit single, You Got Me. He did Fat Joe's Terror Squad anthem, Lean Back. He partnered up with Robert Waller, a.k.a. EST, from the Philly group Three Times Dope, and they produced and wrote Baby Boy, Naughty Girl, and Me, Myself, and I from Beyonce's debut album, Dangerously in Love. Yeah, Scott was a beast. He also did the smash record Let Me Love You from Mario. He did Candy Shop, Just a Little Bit from 50 Cent. He did Chris Brown's first single, Run It. Scott would amass a fortune of almost $100 million from producing music. So the Roots were ready to release their second album, and the first single was Clones. It was their salute to the elements, the pillars of hip-hop culture. Black Thought had this memorable lyric, and it still resonates today. I love this lyric. I told you I'm the rap predator. You insist to imitate what for? Superstar niggas is 10% real, 90% invented for a fucking record deal. Coming with something veterans can't feel. I hit you like a steel anvil because you grabbed off the next man's skill. But still, I remain mellow, seeing the theatrics of Othello run over the tactics of the C-L-O-N-E-S fest. The phoniest cats is felonious. You see, the Roots wanted respect by the masses. Quality sometimes takes a back seat to just okay average. The Roots were a fine wine. Their second album, Illadelph Half-Life, came out a few weeks after the death of Tupac. 
Now, I've mentioned this in previous podcasts. 1996 was an amazing year for hip-hop. The list of quality classic albums that came out were endless. Now, in Philadelphia at that time, the city was enthralled with Jay-Z, who had dropped Reasonable Doubt that summer. Biggie was still the Don. Buster was that star. But then when that Clones came out, you had to bow down to the roots. Shout out to Malik B, Dice Raw, and Black Thought. And shout out to Mars for the setup. I love the song and the track. Inside the song, he talks about doing a show in Philly and folks didn't applaud. They were getting so much love around the country, especially in L.A. And I did not realize that until I went to see them perform in L.A. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, the roots were really special. They were getting so much love around the country, especially in L.A. So this is my third interview with The Roots. I remember recording this earlier in the day on September 13th, 1996, and I aired it that night, and that happened to be the night that Tupac died. So this was kind of before we knew that he died. So this is my third Roots interview. The Roots is in the peace. What's up, fellas? It's The Roots, you know what I mean? Introduce yourselves. Yo, Bad Luchanan from the Illa Fifth Dynasty. We got my cousin Mad representing the Illa Fifth. Mars Co-op. You know what I'm saying? My man Elo in the house representing. We got the Dice Ball and Militant. The whole of our, our squad, you know what I mean? Peace to Bahamadia. And it acts for stop. No doubt. You know I mean? Billy definitely representing the roots. The second album's coming out in a few weeks, right? What's the date no on doubt. that joint? The 24th of September. Okay. It's a Tuesday. Okay. You know what I mean? So let me tell you, let me ask you, man. What's the difference between this album and the last album? Yo, I mean, it's just a graduation. You know what I mean? With this album, it's just, I mean, it's just the next level. You know what I'm saying? We got a far greater knowledge of technology and of the, the workings of the industry now. You know what I mean? So we we at a different level of, of thinking. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. This record is just as mature as, as we have become since the first joint. You know what I mean? Now, y'all are known as a, a group that has sort of like a live band when y'all do, you know, y'all shows or whatever. But this album, well, the cuts that I heard so far, they sound more like, more. Nah, they don't sound like the same record that you had on the last album. Yeah, well, the group, I mean, it's it's, it's a band. We definitely a band. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the group. So it's we still get a band like, in the show. True. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't hire a band or whatever. It's, I mean, that's what The Roots is. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we don't understand that for something to be palatable and for something to be radio playable and club thumpable and this and that, you know what I'm saying? There got to be a certain sound. So... We sampling ourselves on this album a lot. Now I mean, working with a lot of different means to try and come up with the same texture that the people are familiar with. You know what I'm saying? Okay. But at the same time, we just do that in our own ways. You know what I mean? It's all it's all unique and original. Okay. You know now I mean? you expanding on the MC tip too. Now you got more MCs that's down with the roots now, right? Yeah, yeah. Or you put more, put everybody down on this album. I mean, our unit is just growing as a family. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? We got the Illa Fifth Dynasty now. We got a lot of different groups we working with, producing, and this and that. Hopefully, some production deals and label deals about to jump off for some people that we be down with, and we can make some things happen in Philly, you know what I mean? Y'all get mad love in L.A. Right, we and get love said y'all across had all kind of yeah. movie stars and TV stars okay. up on stage dancing while y'all was doing y'all things. Uh, How's that feel going around the country, actually going around the world? And, and showing that Philly love out there. How's that feel? I mean, I don't know. It make you feel kind of like some kind of martyr, you know what I mean? For, mm-hmm. I don't know, the reconstructing of, of, of the whole Philly hip-hop network, you know what I mean? Because it's been a void. But along with us and Bahamadia, well, first, even with Boys to Men, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, just directing attention towards Philadelphia mm-hmm. and just the success or the slow-rolling uh acceptance of these, I mean, artists coming out of Philadelphia right. is getting us a little bit more respect. Actually, a lot more respect because, I mean, wherever we go, we perform the same quality show. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like the same command performance and I don't know. It's just 100%. You know what I'm saying? We don't have stuff because we know Philly is in the hole so we got to be hungry. You know what I mean? We got to go that step further. So, I don't know. We we attacking it like, like we hungry and it's showing and and people appreciating it, you know what I'm saying? Because they feel entertained. 
Well, let me tell you something, bro. It's been eight years since the Philadelphia artist went gold or platinum. Word. And hopefully, I think this is the time right about now. You know what I'm saying? It's time, it's man. Time. It's time for somebody. It's time. Philadelphia Half-Life featured production from Questlove, Q-Tip, and Raphael Sadiq. They also featured one of my Temple University classmates and awesome spoken word artist, Ursula Rucker, who closed out several of the Roots albums. One of my favorite songs on this album was Concerto of the Desperado, which was like a symphonic movie. The controversial moment for them on this project surrounded the theme and quality of hip-hop, which you keep hearing in these interviews. The song they did, called What They Do, featuring Raphael Sadiq, was sort of like a smackdown on the direction of hip-hop. Big mansions, fancy cars, endless champagne, naked girls. This was a sarcastic swipe at where we were as a culture. And a lot of folks mainly put the bullseye on Bad Boy at that time and the music videos and the portrayal they were creating. Peep these lyrics from Black Thought. Lost Generation, Fast-Paced Nation, World Population Confront their Frustration, The Principles of True Hip-Hop Have Been Forsaken, It's All Contractual and About Money-Making, Pretend to Be Cats Don't Seem to Know Their Limitation, Exact Replication and False Representation, You Want to Be a Man? Then Stand on Your Own, To MC Require Skills, I Demand Some Shown. Wow. Go ahead and Google a video and peep out how they did it. Folks were really upset, including the notorious B.I.G., because the set of the What We Do video looked identical to the One More Chance video. Questlove stated on the Wine Epstein podcast last year that Big was a huge supporter of The Roots and was angered by the What They Do video. Biggie publicly stated that The Roots dissed him in the source. When asked for a comment, Quest decided instead of responding, he would pen an op-ed explaining their position. But sadly, Biggie was killed the next day and they didn't get a chance to make amends. Illadelph Half-Life was a success and it went gold a few years later, but they would continue to build their reputation and lane in hip-hop. It was a very weird time when this album came out, sandwiched between the deaths of Pac and Biggie. The Roots would intensely hit the road, doing upwards of 200 shows a year around the world, and they didn't need any new music to come out and stay relevant like most groups did. It would be two and a half years until the next Roots album, but this one would be the breakthrough album that they were waiting for. Things Fall Apart. This album was recorded at the Electric Lady Studios in the Village. This was an old nightclub converted into a studio. The great Jimi Hendrix was constantly looking for the right space to record, and this studio was built with him in mind. Sadly, though, he died a few weeks after the studio opened. While the roots were recording Things Fall Apart, there was a creative energy flowing through the studio as the Soulquarians Collective was born. The core of this collective was Questlove, Q-Tip, D'Angelo, eventual Roots member and fellow Philadelphian James Poyser and the late Slum Village member and brilliant beatmaker Jay Dilla. They all shared the same astrological sign Aquarius and were the core of this creative team. Other members included Common, Most Def, Talib Kweli, Bilal, Erica Badu, and a few more. So in the magical Electric Lady Studios, you had all this energy. Erica was working on her Mama Gun album. Common was working on Like Water for Chocolate. And this was a few years before Common and Erica started dating. D'Angelo was working on his Voodoo album. You remember the song Untitled. That was created in that energy. As you can see, Quest was involved in a lot of projects, but it was time to take some of this creative energy and apply it to the roots, and it paid off. The Roots were ahead of the game when it came to supporting other local Philly energy. The first single featured Beanie Siegel, who had recently been discovered by Jay-Z and was signed to Rockefeller. The adrenaline track was infectious and typical lyrical mayhem, but the story of this album was the low-key smooth song, You Got Me, written by Jill Scott, who was another one of my fellow Temple University classmates who built a reputation locally from her time performing at the Five Spot, specifically an event called Black Lily, which happened on Tuesday nights, which would feature some of the best local talent in Philadelphia, including Jill, the great Jaguar Wright, Floetry, which featured the great Marsha Ambrosius. It was a creative garden, especially on Tuesday nights. And you wouldn't be surprised if Prince showed up or Erica Badu. It was always an awesome experience. So anyway, back to Jill. She co-wrote You Got Me, which also featured a young star who was about to explode on the rap scene later that year named Eve. She was down with DMX Deluxe Swiss Beats on the Rough Rider label, but the world first heard of her on this song. So even though Jill Scott wrote the addictive hook, MCA, the label at the time, wanted Erica Badu to sing the hook because she was the more well-known singer at the time and gave it some star power. Man, 
I'm going to tell you, those executives were so far off. I don't know this for a fact, but I'm sure this fueled Jill, whose debut album came a year later in 2000, and she set the stage for an amazing career. It was like the rest of the world would find out about our great local treasure, Jill Scott. You Got Me was an instant hit, soaring up the R&B charts, and it actually hit inside the top 40 on the pop charts. This was the breakthrough moment for The Roots. It would garner them several Grammy nominations, and they would win for You Got Me. The album went gold, then eventually a few years later went platinum. In 2002, they would drop Phrenology, which featured another You Got Me type of song called Break You Off, featuring a burgeoning Philly R&B singer named Music Soulchild who was signed to Def Jam. Phrenology went gold. The next album was Tipping Point, and that was their last album on the Geffen MCA label, featuring the Scott Storch-produced Don't Say Nothing. Now remember, Scott was nuclear hot at that time in the 2000s, so this track was crazy, and the video was futuristic and animated. Black Thought must have been tipping us off to the future of hip-hop as he mumbled the hook of the song on purpose. That was a banger. Google the video and you'll see for yourself. There's lots of homework for you from this podcast. So during the 2000s, Questlove was forming a bond with Jay-Z, who at the time was a big fan of The Roots, and asked them to back him up on his 2001 live album, which also included Philadelphia and Jaguar Wright. They also backed him on the 2004 farewell concert he did at Madison Square Garden. I remember that concert well. I was there that night. It was a star-studded who's who in hip-hop and R&B coming together a few days before Thanksgiving to support the supposed final performance from Jay-Z after the release of his classic Black album. Jay-Z stunned everyone in the industry and the world by becoming the president of Def Jam, working directly with label head L.A. Reid. He went to Questlove and asked them what they wanted to do since their previous label had merged into Interscope, and they really didn't have a relationship with Jimmy Iovine, who was the head of Interscope at the time. Their album Tipping Point was kind of a step back compared to the previous works. Quest in his memoir said that Jay-Z was kind of hesitant to sign them because he didn't want to be the guy who ruined the roots. So Hove signed them on this stipulation that they do a true roots album and not worry about any radio songs. Do what you do best. So in this interview in 2006, I'm talking to Questlove about signing to Def Jam and the creation of a sub-label inside Def Jam called Def Jam Left. Quest was making a move to not only help his group, but other groups like his who were in the same predicament. We got Quest Love here right now. And, yes, and Quest. Mm, I know it's coming. Def Jam left. I know it's coming. Def Jam left. Yeah. Hov has always been a good friend of yours and, and been a believer in the roots through yeah. all his success. So it, it doesn't surprise me that at this particular point that you guys are going to be doing business together. Now, tell us about this new venture. Pretty much. Um... Well, was a, left is a concept that I gave to him because um, the label that we were previously on, MCA, was pretty much the, the last home, at least for major labels, for like left to center hip hop. Right. Left to center hip hop meaning the kind of hip hop that, you know, you don't have to do 400,000 your first week. Basically, the, the qualities, the moses, the commons, the, mm-hmm. the, the little brothers of the world, you know, um, I kind of sold him on the idea that, you know, he basically just asked you know like what what ideas do you have if you would like to run a label and i told him i said you know the whole idea of artist development is is totally lost Mm -hmm. like the roots didn't even go gold until our fourth album right in in a regular world we should have gotten dropped after the first single like some cats i can't even count the the cats that still have their record deal after 1992 but remember Back in yeah. the day, everyone. But had at the a- same time, you guys did a lot of shows that you didn't you didn't have a record out, and you could do shows. Now, no, no rappers can do that at all. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you have to, yeah, you have to perform. Yeah, yeah. like you have to 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 do something. You mm-hmm. know, keep yourself occupied, either mm-hmm. be in the news or, I mean, none of, none of us, <laughs> yeah. none of us got shot. Yeah, and none of no, us, you know nobody killed saying? anybody so in like, South Philly or nothing. No, yeah, we we pretty much had to just do two hundred shows a year. So, um, I mean, I told him. Although Black Thought kissed a white woman in the movie, so I mean, it's a little oh, controversy. You know, there. He, he caught a case. He, you know, <laughs> that counts for something. That, that that kept our meter alive for about three months. No, but um, I just told him like it's. I, I think that we should try and develop uh, something that will not pressure the artist into thinking. Because the thing is, when artists make a record, mm-hmm. they're always thinking. What can I do to not get dropped? Right. And then that's why you see everybody doing the same thing. And they sell like, out sometimes uh, against what they really want to do. Yeah. yeah. And I don't even think it's a sellout thing like, oh, let me get rich. I think it's just a let me keep my record deal. Right. You know, so who's doing this? Who, I got to do that. Who's on Def Jam left, though, besides you? 
Um, right now, I mean, we're like we're officially on Def Jam. Okay, but we're gonna we're establishing Def Jam left. Okay, um, there's about three artists that you know he's you know how secretive he is. Oh yeah, you know he's he won't even terrorist, man. He keeps things yeah, under yeah. his hat. So he, he don't want me to say nothing. But okay. yeah, there's there's three 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 well respected, well loved um, MCs on that level. Talib Mostaf. <clears throat> No, no, no. Well, that, we tried for Tyler, but he he went to Atlantic. Okay. Um, but there's there's three uh, very well respected MCs from that raucous period. Okay. That, uh, that we're trying to we're trying to have a little army with us. All right. So, so when are you officially coming out? Uh, Game Theory. Well, we got three albums coming out. Believe it or not, three um, albums in a row, back to back. November fifteenth. Uh, will be our last two records for Interscope. Okay. That's called Homegrown. Okay. The Beginner's Guide to Understanding the Roots, Volume One and Volume Two. Jeez. It's not. It's not. It's. it's yeah. It's thirty six songs. It's wow. It's not uh, a greatest hits because you know we don't have hits per se, but this is basically you know rares and B sides and live stuff. So mm-hmm. it's it's it'll be like a new album. Okay. And then uh, Game Theory will be out uh, in late April. And that's the first Def Jam record? That's the first uh, Def Jam uh, record called Game Theory. Okay. All right. Well, Questlove's in the studio. If you want to talk to him, hit us up on the beat lines. Of course, everybody here in Philadelphia is just excited because it's a new venture. And, you know, when Hov gets behind something, you know, he's full full throttle. And he always been a fan of you guys. So he wants to see you guys attain a success. And he's hinted Mm -hmm. in his records and the Black Album. He hinted on wanting to do what he's doing with you guys right now, wanting to make music like that and change the game. So Mm -hmm. it is very exciting. Yes. And it's always exciting when Philadelphia is a part of that. The Roots would expand their horizons through a very loyal fan base. In 2009, Jimmy Fallon was given the late night job on NBC after The Tonight Show, and he had The Roots as his house band. Several years later, Jimmy moved up to host The Tonight Show, and The Roots moved on with him. They continued to tour all over the world and release music. On the strength of their manager and business partner, Sean G., The Roots have expanded their brand. In 2008, they started an annual event in Philadelphia to set the summer off, where they would bring together some of the artists they liked called the Roots Picnic, which has grown into one of the best music festivals in the country. The Roots have inspired a legion of other creatives, and not just from the music side. It's not uncommon at a Roots show to rub shoulders with a famous actor, an artist, a dancer. So that's the story of hip-hop's first band, The Roots. Special thanks to DJ One Plus Two, special thanks to T-Storm, and of course, special thanks to The Roots. It's been an honor and a pleasure to work around these guys over the last 20-something years. Coming up next on the Backstory Podcast, one of Hip hop's greatest lyricist, Nas. I met a, I met mad rappers, but I, I'm searching for one of them. I met. I was trying to. I was going down to this label, forgot the name of it, and they told me to come with them down to see Search. So I went down there and they and searching them. I had done back to the grill and they asked me to be on that. Get more of the backstory on our Patreon page with exclusive interviews outtakes and the lost controversial backstory podcast you can only get here support on the backstory bonus level